oh, okay, this kind of entertainment-based approach to marketing and, and video content is really the future of what I'm going to be creating here. So, yeah. I love it. Is there any way we could get like 10 to 15 seconds of you sharing a, a, a bit of a song from Facebook Live, the musical? <laughs> um, well, it was based on Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor. Dream oh, my God. So, amazing. You know, Facebook Live, the musical, the amazing Facebook Live. There's your little uh, sound bite. You'll have to go and watch the replay for the rest. <laughs> Lots of people want to know how to stand out online. Few people put in the time and effort to actually stand out. What I've discovered over the years is that standing out is never the product of following whatever trend is lighting up social media or taking the blogosphere by storm. Standing out is incredibly personal. Anytime I've tried to play the game, I lose. Anytime I make up my own rules, I win. And this podcast is no exception. You're listening to What Works, the show that brings you candid conversations about how small business owners are really running and growing their businesses, regardless of the hype, gimmicks, or fads. I'm your host, Tara McMullen. Now, I could have chosen to play the game of getting the online business world's biggest stars to talk about their own pet projects and programs. I could have crossed my fingers and hoped they'd promote the show to their massive audiences, but I didn't. Instead, I looked around the podcast marketplace and found a hole to fill, the very show that I wanted to listen to, small business owners talking about what they were really doing. I wanted it to feel more like a mastermind than a masterclass. I wanted it to challenge assumptions and debunk myths about the right way to do things. And I really wanted to highlight the small business owners who so often don't get much press, but are making things work every single day without buying into the hype or gurus. This show is different, and that's a big reason why it stands out. The other reason it stands out is because we put a lot of time and intention into those very aspects of this show. We work hard to get better at our craft. I work hard at becoming a better interviewer. Sean works hard at becoming a better producer. Marty works hard at becoming a better editor. We want to be different and excellent, and it results in standout content. My guest today also has a knack for creating standout content. Rachel K. Albers is a marketer who hates marketing. As the founder and creative director of RKA Inc., a branding, web design, and digital marketing studio, Rachel has helped hundreds of small business owners all over the world stand out online without selling their soul or playing the manipulation game. When not crafting epic, unforgettable brands for her clients, Rachel hosts Awkward Marketing, a business comedy show blending fun-sized small business advice with storytelling and sketch comedy for entrepreneurs who want to create epic, unforgettable brands online. Now, if you did a double take when I said business comedy show, I get it. But that's a prime reason why Rachel's content stands out. It's unexpected and far from ordinary. The other reason it stands out is the painstaking effort that Rachel puts into each episode. She's working to become masterful at making you laugh while learning the ins and outs of digital marketing. And that's what I wanted to talk to Rachel about. Rachel shared not only how she developed the idea and how it fits into her business, but her start-to-finish process of developing a season of the show, how much time it takes her to produce, and how she batches the work. We also talk about how much it costs to produce a show like this and how she gets it in front of new people. 
Now we'll hear from Rachel in just a bit, but first, if you value this kind of inside look at how a great marketing strategy comes to life or how an idea takes shape, you'll love having an inside look at hundreds of businesses inside the What Works Network. The What Works Network is your opportunity to join the kinds of conversations we have here on the podcast and learn what's really working or not working as small business owners run and grow their businesses. Plus, when you join us today, you'll get to join in on our next virtual conference all about building your audience. Go to explorewhatworks.com slash network for all the details and to join us. That's explorewhatworks.com slash network. Now let's find out what works for Rachel K. Albers. Rachel K. Albers, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's the best day of my life. I wish all interviews started like that. Um, But speaking of getting things started, um, I would love for you to tell us about the day that you got the idea for Awkward Marketing. Well, I'll tell you what, it was two days. But the first day I'll mention um, actually has a lot to do with you. I was listening to a podcast episode with you and Lacey Boggs, and you were talking about content marketing, and you were talking about social media, you are talking about blogging. And Lacey said something about blue ocean content that just set off an alarm bell for me. Some, you know, little wires crossed in my mind. um, And I think it really was the idea of you don't have to necessarily say something new because when it comes to, I mean, anything, there's nothing new under the sun, but it's how you say it. Um, That can be the way that you, that you're offering something new and different to the conversation. And that day when I I was on a plane going to Santa Fe to meet a client, listening to you and Lacey and like right then and there, I got out my notebook and started furiously scribbling this idea of, of creating a show where I had characters and I brought my sketch comedy background into my content. And it was just like, how have I never thought about this before? So I got to say thank you. If it weren't for you, I don't know if awkward marketing would exist. Oh, well, that's awesome to hear. And I'm fascinated right now by sort of these, the origin stories behind these ideas, those those breakout things that they maybe wouldn't work for anybody else, but they work perfectly for you. Like they're just the perfect idea for you. So I'm curious if, you know, I realized that, okay, this podcast episode or this conversation is what inspired you to create your show for your business, but were there things, like, were you engaged with or watching other YouTube shows or listening to comedy podcasts or other video series that kind of inspired you as you figured out what this idea was going to look like in your business? Does that make sense? Oh, Oh, yeah. I mean, so Awkward Marketing in its original iteration was a Facebook Live show. So today it's uh, a show that brings in sketch comedy. I've got a green screen. I do different characters. I've got a, I'm looking right now at my wall of like 30 plus wigs. <laughs> and so now it's a whole thing, right? It's a pre-recorded show. There are great wigs. <laughs> really great wigs. But um, when I first started it, it was like, I need to start creating video content. Video is hot. And I literally just decided, all right, Wednesday at 11 a.m., that's going to be my day. I'm going to hop on. I'm going to be talking about marketing. And that's how it began. And I wasn't really, I will say this, I wasn't watching YouTube because the YouTube channel came later, but I was really dialed into what other online marketers were saying. And so I think that the early version of the show kind of followed a little bit more of that formula of, okay, I'm going to do a little shareable. I'm going to have three points. I'm going to you know teach people a lesson about how to improve their marketing. But 
it was that day where I was listening to your podcast that I kind of had that light bulb of, oh, this is how I can make it my own. But I feel like that's mm. really, really common journey. Like at least in my case that you, sometimes you have to follow a formula and get into it a little bit until I um, figure out how am I going to turn this into an RKA thing? How am I going to make this me? So yeah, it was definitely inspired by those who have come before me and it took a little time to figure out, okay, what is, what is my unique contribution to this space and, uh, and approach? Okay, perfect. So we are totally going to come back to that because I really am curious to find out how sort of the format of the show has evolved, how your strategy behind it, just even your like thinking around it has evolved. But first, you mentioned that you decided like, okay, Wednesday, 11 a.m., I'm going live. This is going to be, uh, this is the day that I, I make it happen. Um, and sometimes it's that simple, but I have a feeling with like a video thing, or at least I know from personal experience, and I think a lot of other people's experience that often with video, there's a little bit more to it than that. What were some of the first steps that you took to make the show a reality? What did you have to get in place before you were able to go live on that Wednesday morning? Um, well, funny enough, I because I am a designer and uh, and that's what I was known for before I started the show and I'm still known for in many ways, I had to get my set already. Um, so I was like furiously painting my office and making sure that I, you know, I think one of the ways I knew early on that I wanted to be able to set myself apart when people are scrolling through their feed and there's lots of live videos to choose from, what am I going to watch? I wanted to make sure that when they were, you know, scrolling through, they kind of saw this beautiful branded space that they could then kind of subconsciously associate with me. Mm -hmm. So I definitely made sure that I got my set kind of taken care of. And that's something that I, yeah. So making sure my set was branded, that it kind of told the story I wanted to tell about me as a designer and as a marketer and like, hey, I got it together. And so that was like the main thing. But I'll be real with you. You know, I was using my built-in Mac camera. I was using my built-in audio. And it wasn't until I started doing it week after week and I would get comments like, hey, your audio sucks. <laughs> but then I was like, all right, I got to invest in a better mic. And hey, your video sucks. And I got to invest in a better webcam. So I did kind of improve my production quality and like learn different tools. And I play, I mean, I must've tried Tara, like every, you know, live streaming tool on the market. I tried OBS and I tried be live and I tried like all these other weird apps that I don't even remember the name of before I found the tool that I ended up using when I, when I live streamed. So it was a work in progress. Nice. So were you consistent with the show from the get-go? Was it something that you kind of had to like play around with the scheduling on? Did you have some false starts? Can you tell us about that early period just from a, an execution standpoint? So I had tried to do video before. And the reason I chose live to begin was because when I tried to do pre-recorded videos, it would, I would take eight hours shooting five minutes of footage because I'd take and retake and retake and retake because mm -hmm. I was such a perfectionist. So I chose the live streaming format because I knew it was one take and done and people were watching it. So I didn't have the opportunity to be like, wait a minute, I'm going to start again. And so that really helped keep me honest. Like I kept that 11 a.m. date with myself come hell or high water. And that was, you know, how I, I was able to kind of create this ongoing content because I had been you know how it is. I, you know, I, I was getting super busy with clients before that. And I'm like, okay, I'll put out another blog next week or the week after. But having put it out into the universe, like, hey, 11am is the date. I didn't even care if one person was there. It was really my, 
you know, my public accountability and then my accountability with myself. So I did a pretty good job of staying on the ball, you know, and sometimes I was like racing to the finish line, like (laughs) breathlessly writing notes right before I went on live. But darn it, I got on live every week at 11 a.m. Gotcha. I think that makes a ton of sense. And I know that a lot of people also have that experience. And I, I, you know, I've had that experience, the same thing. Like it takes a hundred different takes to get a pre-recorded video done. But, you know, if I say I'm going to go live, boom, it's done. It's over. People love it. And wow, I can do that again next week. So that completely makes sense. Um, All right. So with Facebook Live, uh, you had somewhat of a built-in audience because Facebook will show people that you're going live uh, to a certain certain segment of your followers or your friends. Uh, How else did people find out about the show or can you just tell us how the early viewers found out about what you were doing and decided to keep tuning in? Well, I did a lot of promotion. I followed the 80, 20 rule of, you know, eight, 20% of your time creating content and 80% of your time promoting it. So I didn't, when I was recording my live episodes, I always recorded them with my replay viewers in mind, knowing that they were going to be the, my mo- the majority of my viewers were uh, viewers were going to be, replay viewers. They weren't going to be the ones that showed up live because I did it on my page, not on my personal profile. So um, I really spent a lot of time after the show, like getting captions on the video and adding really cool featured images and promoting on social and promoting on my blog and promoting on my email list and really just hitting it, you know, hitting it hard to make sure that I was promoting through every channel that I could. And, you know, it got some pretty, I will say the thing that really helped me get the most new viewers was when I did my kind of fun episodes. And the real game changer for me that helped me steer me towards the new version of awkward marketing that I do today was in June of, I think it was 2017, I did Facebook Live the musical. <laughs> I did a live musical where I showed up and I sang and I had a whole musical about marketing. And that got a ton of traction. People were sharing it with their friends, people I didn't even know. I did put a little bit of ad money on it just to make sure it got a little bit of liftoff. But the truth is, once it got up in the air, it just flew on its own. And so that, I don't want to call it a gimmick because, well, I guess it was a little bit of a gimmick. Obviously, you want to you know show up and watch this woman try to do a live musical on Facebook. But that got me a lot of new viewers and people who were like, whoa, this woman is doing it so differently. You got to check it out. And that was what kind of in tandem with that podcast that I was listening to with you sparked that light bulb of, oh, okay, this kind of entertainment based approach to marketing and and video content is really the future of what I'm going to be creating here. So, yeah. I love it. Is there any way we could get like 10 to 15 seconds of you sharing a a, a bit of a song from Facebook Live the musical? <laughs> um well, it was based on Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Oh my god, so, amazing. Know, Facebook Live the musical, the amazing Facebook Live. There's your little uh, sound bite. You'll have to go and watch the replay for the rest. I was going to say, that's our cold <laughs> open. It's right there. <laughs> Done. That was easy. Let me write that timestamp down. 1450. Yep, I got it. Okay. Um, all right. Let's talk about how the show has evolved since since then, really, it sounds like, because uh, you landed on this format that you realized oh, okay, here's what people want. They do want to learn marketing. They do want to learn about, um, you know, finding an audience, engaging with their people, doing video, um, design, whatever it might be. But also 
they want to be entertained or this the unique way I can serve them is to be entertaining to them while I teach them those things. So how did the show evolve once you made that realization? Yeah. So for Halloween that year, I decided, oh, you know what? It would be really fun if every day in the week leading up to Halloween, I had a different costume. And that's kind of how this all began. And so I got a green screen. I got a bunch of wigs. It's the beginning of my wig collection. And essentially, I created um, my five top awkward marketers, these kind of, you know, frame baseline examples of here are the different ways that people, you know, go wrong with their marketing. And I created a contest around it, you know, everyday people were tuning it. And that was really where the new format of awkward marketing took off, because I found that what where my specific strengths and skill set overlapped with my marketing knowledge was hey, I'm not just going to talk about marketing. I'm going to embody these things that we all groan about or we all struggle with and turn them into actual living characters. And so I did that Halloween special, five days of, of different awkward marketers. And that was where awkward marketing really took off. People loved it. And at that point, I was like, okay, the show in the next year in 2018 is going to go to a pre-recorded show so I can do these kind of little sketch comedy variety show intros and turn it into more of a bite-sized format. Um, and that's when I started my YouTube channel and all of that kind of stuff. So it was Halloween costumes that really made it, made awkward marketing what it is today. Well, isn't that everyone's story? I mean, really? <laughs> Okay, let's start talking about sort of the business side of things, because I guess we haven't really talked about that yet, although, of course, that's what we are talking about. Um, but, you know, I think, well, maybe maybe we should say you don't necessarily get paid to do awkward marketing, right? You don't necessarily get paid to get dressed up and put on the wigs and get in front of the green screen. And yet what got started as a side project has really become a real focus of how you get business for yourself. Um, and I think that really very few people actually turn these kinds of side projects or these uh, sort of side ideas into a system that can fuel their business. So how does awkward marketing as uh, a show, as marketing for you, actually serve your business? How does it bring in leads for you? And, and what are those people looking for? Yes. So you're right. It is a, it is a big investment of time and money to produce awkward marketing. Um, and, but it, it is definitely paying off in the early days. I will admit, I knew that I was playing the long game. I knew that I was investing in the future of the business and that it wasn't going to, I wasn't going to see that money come right back to me. There was a few things that awkward marketing has done for my business. Number one, I was very strategic about this before I started this show most people knew me as like the web design girl mm -hmm. and I didn't want to be put in that box anymore. And so, you know, awkward marketing has served as a vehicle for helping me to re-educate my audience around, Hey, in my, in my projects, when I'm working with clients, we do way more than design. Like strategy is just as important, if not more than making things pretty. So I wanted to, to kind of reframe how people saw me and my expertise so that they knew, oh, Rachel knows marketing, right? Rachel understands how to build an online business. So that's been one really you know, big thing. It's just been reshaping my brand um, and how people perceive me and what they come to me for, because it has helped me to, to, to get less leads who just want a quick and dirty, cheap website, right? And more leads who say, hey, 
I want a stronger digital presence. I want to bring in more leads. I want to make more money. How can you help me do that? Oh yeah, I also need a website. So that's one big shift. Um, the other big shift is, and the other big thing that Awkward Marketing does for me is that it educates my leads about what they can expect from working with me. It's kind of cutting down on the amount of onboarding education that I have to do with them. So I get people coming in all the time who are like, okay, I binge watch a bunch of your episodes. So I already understand this and I already understand that. Now I'm ready for the next level. So I don't have to prime them and say, well, you, you know, you really should be thinking about this part of your business and you really should be thinking about that. They've already kind of been educated by awkward marketing. They understand my philosophy and they're coming in already bought into the Rachel, to the RKA approach. Does that make sense? That totally makes sense. And I mean, I think that's what so few people get about content marketing is it's not just writing blog posts. It's not just making videos. It's about exactly what you said, educating people about what to expect, giving them that baseline knowledge that is going to make them a better client for you in the end. And in that process also generates the leads. It brings the business in. And I just love the way that you explained that. You'll hear how Rachel batches each layer of the process to produce each season of the show in just a minute. But first, a word from our What Works partner. What Works is brought to you by Mighty Networks. Mighty Networks unlocks your ability to sell experiences, relationships, and expertise in one place with its all-in-one platform. Instead of wrestling with a whole host of apps and services to turn your content, ideas, or movement into a thriving business, Mighty Networks finally brings it all together in one place. You can create articles, online courses, and events, organize your community into groups, host an online chat, and connect with beautiful profiles. Plus, you can track your stats, manage payments, and maintain your own customer information right inside the platform. We use Mighty Networks to power the What Works Network. We share exclusive content, interact with members using questions and polls, host events like our upcoming virtual conference, and accept membership fees. Mighty Networks has made our whole business more streamlined. Start growing your business all in one place by going to MightyNetworks.com to get started. Mighty Networks is the easiest way to take your business to the next level. What Works is also brought to you by the What Works Network. Are you craving more grown-up talk about running a small business? The What Works Network is where small business owners like you talk shop without the drama, the hype, or the get-rich-quick promises. Our members talk about challenging customer scenarios, how to manage their money around big investments, the mindset blocks they know they need to overcome to grow their businesses, and the challenges of a quickly changing market. And this week, we're diving into a day-long discussion about building your audience during our latest virtual conference. We'll tackle this topic from four different angles. Dana Kay will share what it takes to create a magnetic brand. Alethea Fitzpatrick will speak on building an inclusive audience. Amy Walsh will share how to create engaging visuals to represent your business. And Dr. Michelle Mazur will speak on creating a rallying cry for your audience. In fact, here's Michelle in her own words. 
Hey, what works network. It's Dr. Michelle Mazur, the founder of communication rebel and the author of the three word rebellion, create a one of a kind message that grows your business into a movement. And what I'm most excited to share with you during the summit is all about how to find your three-word rebellion and what the three-word rebellion can do to grow your audience, how it can get you media attention, podcast appearances, speaking, and take you places where you never thought you would go. What I love most about the What Works Network is being in the room with people like you, people who are doing big things in the world because Each and every one of us can be role models of possibility for everyone else in the community. Every day, we talk candidly about the nitty-gritty details of marketing, sales, systems, pricing, copywriting, social media, and more. Plus, we host monthly events like our Flash Masterminds, Insider Hours, and Community Roundtables so you can talk with people who get it about the business topics that matter the most to you. Membership is just $50 per month, and you can cancel any time. And... There's no risk to you. If you don't find our platform and events to be full of welcoming, experienced small business owners who talk candidly about the ins and outs of small business, we'll happily refund your first month's membership fee. Go to explorewhatworks.com slash network to join us. That's explorewhatworks.com slash network. Membership closes on Wednesday, June 12th. So don't wait. Join the What Works Network today. Um, All right, let's talk about the nuts and bolts of actually creating an episode. Can you walk us through the process of how you plan things out and and what it actually takes to create an episode of Awkward Marketing? Oh, it's a whole thing. Cool. Give it to us. So it's layers. So it's, it's basically I batch each different layer of the process. The first batch is over a period of a few months, I'm collecting ideas. And I get these ideas from questions people ask me in sales calls. I get these ideas from things I see people asking in Facebook groups or, you know, things that my clients come to me with that they're struggling with or things that I just observe or bad marketing practices that I see. And so I just have like a little note file that I'm always adding ideas to so that when it's time to really plan out the season, uh, you know, and and say, okay, episodes one through 12 are going to be about blah, 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 blah. I've got a huge idea file. So that's kind of the pre-work. Then the next step is, okay, I sit down and I plan out 12 episodes of content and I'll, I'll think about the topics and then I'll say, okay, what funny scenario, what, um, you know, character could I do or how could I bring this to life, um, through comedy? And so then it's coming up with the scenarios basically. Then after that, it's okay. I've got to figure out all the sourcing of all the costumes. So I go on Amazon. That's where I buy my wigs. I buy a bunch of wigs. Um, or I say, okay, I go to the wig closet and I say, what wig could I use for what character? Um, so I get a bunch of wigs online and then I go to Goodwill, I go to Party City, I go to Amazon and I find just all the costumes. So that in itself is a few days of work, um, sourcing all of that. Then I do a big batch recording. So I will batch record all my characters. I might do like women on one day and men another another day. So it's just like all day long, I'm like playing dress up, <laughs> you know? And my I walk upstairs with a mustache on and my, my husband's like, yep, you're recording awkward marketing, I see. <laughs> you know? And then I have someone come in to do my hair and makeup because that's just something I feel more comfortable outsourcing. And then the next batch is I batch. So I will batch the characters and then I batch the teaching. 
that's probably the hardest part because the teaching days are the days where I'm like showing up as RKA and saying, okay, here's what you can learn about your marketing. So those days are really long. They're like 12 plus hours that I can batch out. You know, I'll probably do six episodes at a time, do it over a course of a couple days. So then I've batched out all the recordings. Now I've got all the content. And then each week, I wish I could say like, oh, I've done all the production weeks ahead of time, but I'm running a business too. And I got to serve my clients. So each week then I've got kind of a little Tuesday night is my editing night. I edit the episode. I write all the social content. I write out my emails. I write, you know, I create the cover photos. I put the, um, the videos into different formats for Facebook, for YouTube, for Instagram, all that kind of stuff. And then Wednesdays are the days that a new episode goes out and then I'm blasting it out to all of my social channels and, and to my email list. And then I do some follow-up advertising and promotion. And I'm, and I will often come back to old episodes. Like if I'm going through a, a a dormant period where I'm not producing new episodes, then I will do reruns. And so I will, you know, re-promote that content. So that's, that's the thing, man. Wow. Okay. So it sounds like it takes you probably the better part of a work week to do all the video, like to actually be, to get the videos recorded sort of the scratch videos recorded for each season. Is that about right? Yep, that's correct. Okay, awesome. Um, Okay, so you kind of mentioned this briefly as you were going through the process, but I'm really curious to find out exactly how your distribution channels run down. Um, So can you give us the rundown on where all you're posting your videos and kind of how each video or how the videos differ from distribution channel to distribution channel? Yes. So I I do YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. And I'm now just starting to dip my toe into LinkedIn because they need to laugh. You know what I'm saying? Totally. We need some color on LinkedIn. But um, so, you know, from a technical perspective, uh, I, my YouTube video, for example, needs to have an end screen. It needs to have a screen saying, hey, you need to subscribe, but I don't need that screen on Facebook. So I've got to have an end screen on my Facebook version or my YouTube version and not on my Facebook version. My Instagram version has to be a minute. So I have to kind of do a little fun teaser for what the rest of the episode is going to say and then just be like, okay, full episode in bio and on IGTV. I do a format for IGTV as well. Um, And then I do a little one minute version for Twitter. And so I have to kind of splice it up so that, you know, for Twitter and Instagram, they're getting the best of the best and they're, you know, they're getting their appetites whetted. And so they want to click and watch the full episode. And then, you know, technically YouTube needs to say something at the end. Facebook doesn't. And so I create all those versions and then I will modify my kind of comment or my description of the video for the platform. Um, Because, you know, each social media network kind of has its own language, has its own culture. So how I might lead into Twitter, obviously I've got a, a character length versus Facebook and versus Instagram and all the hashtags I put on there and all that good stuff. Mm, Thank you so much for running that down. I find that fascinating. And I also really appreciate the amount of effort it takes to figure all of that out to kind of figure out what's going to work best on each platform and then to actually incorporate that into your process. So how long does it take you to actually edit each week's video? I would say probably about five hours. Wow. (laughs) That's a lot of editing time. And then what you I would include in that uh, modifying it for each of the different um, the platforms that I'm putting it out on. It's not a small amount of time, but as I said, I get a really good ROI on it at this point. So I find it worth it. And, um, yeah. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. 
Okay, so as you know, this month we're really talking about building an audience. And so I love that we've talked about the nuts and bolts of this, but I also really want to talk about how people are finding awkward marketing, how it has become such a great return on investment for you. So you told us how in the beginning people first found out about it, but what's working for you right now in terms of finding new viewers? So I do find that one of the reasons I do awkward marketing in this format is my mindset was kind of like, how can I create content that people will want to share? It doesn't feel like they're sharing like a blog post about marketing, but feels like they're sharing something fun and reflects well on them. So people share awkward marketing a lot. It's sticky in that way. Um, and so it, it's gotten a lot of lift off that way. Um, I do, I mean, I, I, you, you've heard all the ways I promote it through social media and my list. I do put ads. I do put a little bit of ad money on each episode, not a ton, but I do find that, you know, get, like for on Facebook, I do just basic boosts around people who like my page and their friends. So if you see your friend liking this video, you're more likely to look at it. And so I do that. And sometimes I will run contests. Um, you know, I did for Halloween this year, again, I did another series if blank famous person was an online marketer. So I did all these kind of funny, well-known characters like Inigo Montoya from Princess Bride. <laughs> and I did do our president, uh, the United mm -hmm. States president. I did do a little Donald Trump, you know, parody. I had to do it. Uh, I did, you know, Sex in the City. And so that, you know, got me a lot of new viewers because people recognized those things and thought they were funny. And, and so I would say, but the main way that I get new viewers is the stickiness of the show and the fact that people want to share it. And then I go on podcasts and other people's shows and I talk about awkward marketing. I do guest blogs about awkward marketing. So it's getting out there. But I find when I get a new fan, they're a devoted fan. And mm -hmm. then they want to share it with their friends and they can't wait for each new episode. And so you know, there is a little bit of a domino effect there. Yeah. One thing that is has been really challenging for me, especially since focusing on the podcast, uh, what, probably two years ago now, is sort of the ephemeral nature of the metrics that we have behind these things. And I think with video, maybe it's a little bit better um, because sometimes the social networks will give you some, some stats behind each video or what people are engaging with. With podcasts, we really have none of that. Um, and so I'm curious what you do to track, uh, not the ROI, but sort of just the, how, how do you know um, that this is working beyond just people saying, hey, I, f I found awkward marketing and I love it and I'd love to work with you. Is, do you have a system for following shares or for following where people came from specifically or particular referrals? Do you have any kind of system behind that? I wish I could say I had like a mathematical algorithmic approach to this, but <laughs> I'm not really the data person in that way. I do have members of my team who will kind of analyze views on, they'll analyze my website traffic. They'll analyze YouTube views. They're, they'll, and, they'll, and they'll come to me and they'll say, this episode performed really well and this didn't. So here are the topics or the characters that are working and, and here's what don't. So I kind of outsource that because it's just not my strength because I'm measuring it. Rachel is measuring it in, are people talking about it? And that to me is my most important metric. That's, you know, I'll tell you what, Tara, like a couple years ago, nobody knew who the heck I was. And awkward marketing has given me uh, you know, visibility. And, and that's what I'm known for. And so for me, that's probably my most important metric. Also, because, you know, the next steps for awkward marketing include doing more public speaking, keynote speaking. So I, you know, building that audience 
is really important for me. And actually, I'll be really honest with you. I'm thrilled when I get leads that come in and say, you know, I watched Awkward Marketing, but that's not actually even my goal. It's mm. not necessarily leads. Um, I want to offer something of value to the community. I want to be able to serve people who can't necessarily afford to work with me. And yes, I want to build my audience so that I will be a more attractive person to put in your lineup for your conference or your event. So so the answer is not really other than, as I said, my team kind of tracks views uh, and and how long people are watching a video and they'll come back to me and they'll say, okay, this episode is performing really well. You want to do more of this. Got it. Um, and sort of similarly, you know, I know in the past, in the very recent past, um, and and still some to this day, a lot of people would say, okay, so you've got this show that you do. What's the funnel behind it? What is the first this, then that, then the next thing uh, that you want people to do? Um, and I'm starting to see people creating a lot more sort of marketing ecosystems where there isn't necessarily a first this, then that but instead, it's more of a, if I put all these things out there, if I really focus on the content and then create different ways for people to engage with me, then that will serve, that will also serve my business and people won't feel like they're getting so squeezed. Do you take more of a funnel approach? Is there a particular marketing system that you have behind the videos or is it more of that kind of ecosystem approach? I would say it's both, quite okay. honestly. I mean, I do have, so the next step, I, I am always driving people back to my site and so you're going to get a pop-up that will get you onto my email list. Um, I do have kind of a nurture sequence that I then take people through to do some further education about why they might want to work with me and what our services are. And so, and that leads into either one-on-one -on -one work or when I'm in a launch season, my course. So I will say I did track analytics very precisely when it came to, I launched my course in the fall and I was able to track that I got new viewers through advertising to them on Facebook, for example, and that mm. they then went into kind of my audiences that I advertised my webinars to and that they then bought my course. So I was able to say, all right, there was an actual legitimate ROI. I can say, this is how much money I made from awkward marketing in the fall. It's a little bit more nebulous when it comes to my higher level one-on-one -on -one services. But then also what you say about the marketing ecosystem that's probably more predominant with awkward marketing. Like, mm -hmm. yes, people are constantly getting on my list because of awkward marketing and then they're getting nurtured and they're getting turned into these services. But, you know, my approach is I don't create awkward marketing with this desire. Like, okay, I'm going to get X amount of email subscribers mm -hmm. and they're going to turn into X amount of clients. Does that make sense? Yeah, that totally makes sense. And I really appreciate you breaking that down for everybody because I think people get really stuck on those things. Um, okay. I think that we're getting to the end here. Um, but I have one question that I hope you won't mind me asking. And, uh, just because I, I think I would be remiss not to ask it, but feel free to, to answer in the way that, that makes the most sense for you. And that is you have mentioned the investment behind awkward marketing many, many times in the last 30 minutes. Um, and it is clear that you are putting quite a bit of money behind, uh, this venture. Would you mind giving us uh, an idea of what you've invested, whether it was at the beginning, what you invest on a monthly basis now? Can you just, can you quantify that for us in some way, just so we have a better idea of, of what this takes to produce? Well, I'll be quite honest with you. I did do, I do pretty precise time tracking and awkward marketing was the biggest investment of my time in 2018. Oh, wow. That kind of surprised me to be quite honest. So, and that's probably when you look at dollars and cents, 
that's the biggest investment I'm making is my time. Yeah. I will say that it's easy to do that when, you know, not everyone has the advantage or the, the blessing of being able to do what they love, mm-hmm. but awkward marketing, I have been able to find a way to do what I love. So I enjoy it. And that makes, you know, putting that amount of time into it worth it. Dollars and cents, because I'm really good about like sourcing my costumes from places like Goodwill and all that good stuff. And, you know, I don't put a ton of bad money on it. Maybe I've spent in the last two years, $5,000. Oh, wow. So I don't consider that a huge money investment. It's really my time. That's the biggest investment because I do do my own editing. Um, I do do my own production. That's I'm not outsourcing that at this point. doesn't really make sense, especially because of the comic timing, but it's really the time. That's the biggest investment. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. First, I'm floored by that being all that you've spent like cash wise. Um, But I think that your point about this being your biggest investment of time is so important because, you know, most people aren't going to get in front of a green screen and buy wigs and buy costumes, right? But if they're thinking about getting into video marketing or podcast marketing or any of the sort of multimedia things that aren't just as straightforward as, you know, typing words into your blog, although blogging is very time intensive too, when it's done right. Um, I think people really need to realize that this is one of the places where we spend the the max amount of time. Uh, it is for me. And I'm, I'm so glad that you share that it is for you as well. Um, well, Rachel, I'd love to find out what's next for you. What's next for awkward marketing? What projects are you really excited about right now? Well, I'm super excited to be bringing awkward marketing live. I'm going to be speaking at a couple of events this year. Um, where I, I bring some of my characters into the space. And, and you know, just like my, my vision was to innovate in video content by using comedy, I have the same approach to keynote speaking. So the whole idea is let's bring a little bit of this like, you know, sketch comedy, one woman show, entertainment value to conferences that sometimes can be a little bit dry. It's a lot of information. You're going in, you're listening to a lot of experts. Let's make them laugh. So that's what I'm most excited about is taking Awkward Marketing live, going to more events. And I think that's what you'll be seeing from me in the next few years. Ah, I love it. Rachel K. Albers, thank you so much for this conversation and really taking us behind the scenes on Awkward Marketing. You're the best. Find out more about Rachel K. Albers at rkainc.com and check out her business comedy show, Awkward Marketing at awkwardmarketing.com. This episode was produced by Sean McMullen. It was edited by Marty Seafelt. Our theme music is by The Shrugs. Find over 200 more candid conversations with small business owners at explorewhatworks.com.